Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 5th edition Vampire the Masquerade tabletop role-playing rules by World of Darkness. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. Listeners should know that this podcast is intended for a mature audience and will include strong language and mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and so forth, that may bear resemblance to entities living, dead, or undead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Rena Henze, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Old Ways Podcast's Blood Moon Rising, our Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle. We hope you are enjoying whatever time of year it is for you, and that you are enjoying our San Francisco by night. Our coterie is dealing with the ramifications of some rather bloody and deadly events from our last session, and we're going to see what the fallout is for everyone. But in the meantime, we need to do introductions. To my right. Hi, this is Mike. I'll be playing Marcus Voss of Clan Bruja. And as has been said many, many a times, I will be turning to a coterie mate and saying, would you like to see a dead body? So many dead bodies. This is becoming a habit, Marcus. And to Marcus's right. Hi, this is John. I'll be playing Vince Markovich of Clan Tremere. Vince is doing perfectly fine. Thank you for asking. Nothing traumatic happened to poor baby Vince last session at all. Nothing whatsoever. And to Vince's right. My name is Tegan Gilbert, and I'm playing Rom the Shaman. And I'm up to take a look at a stiff. In so many ways. And at the end of the table. This is Ali, and I play Katarina Bogdanovich. And... There was a lot of blood. Surprising, considering that you're all vampires. And to my left. This is Tiffany, and I play Alex Giovanni, and uh, I have uh, opened an orphanage for poor Miss Unfortunate Souls. Well, souls might be a bit of a uh, metaphorical term here, but you've definitely taken in your fair share of strays. All right. As we open this evening, it is two nights after what happened in the home of Karen Stein, Vince Markovich's sire, also known as, in her former life, Queen Elizabeth I. So we're going to start with zooming in on Alex and Vince. Alex has taken Vince home and... How has Vince been handling this? Vince vacillates between being a bit mopey and self-indulgent and swearing vengeance upon the enemies of the woman he loved. Even though he realizes she probably didn't really love him the way he cared for her. (laughs) So, Alex, you have a mopey and profanity-laced and very emo young Tremere wandering around your apartment. 
as well as a young Ventru who's having horrific, horrific nightmares. How is Alex handling all of this? Trevor's probably locked in a closet most of the time because don't want him acting out at night or during the day, I should say. Um, And then uh, Alex probably buys Vince a guitar so he can be emo with a guitar. Vince is absolutely not talented musically. However, he does strum Wonderwall for a few hours. It's kind of about all he can handle. So it, it's been an interesting, interesting night or two for Alex and Vince. And for Trevor, who's mostly spent his time sleeping in the closet and screaming at night through the nightmares. He still appears to be sleeping most of the time. But near the end of the, an end of his sleep, he does start screaming and, and waking everybody up. So you're not resting quite as well as you should be, both of you, because about three hours from sundown, like clockwork for the last two nights, you've been awakened by these horrible nightmares that Trevor has been having. But it is now a fresh night. Uh, you've been up dealing with Trevor and you're a bit bleary-eyed both of you even though Vince probably doesn't go help with Trevor he's too busy playing Wonderwall in the background it's still something you can't really sleep through these deep piercing screams Uh, so I'd like both of you to give me your rouse checks for the night and I will say that if you fail your rouse check for the night because you've been awakened early several nights in a row uh, it might be a little bit more severe funny you should say that I just failed mine well that makes sense given given what Vince has been going through so Vince you're gonna take two hunger your hunger is now at four I succeeded alright so Alex is fine they're just dealing with this they brought these vampires into their home they knew kind of what they were getting themselves into and they're also older so it makes sense that they can control themselves a bit better but Vince mm -mm. Vince is having a really rough go of it and Alex you may notice as you get ready this evening and come out that Vince is sitting on the couch he's holding the guitar that you got him in one hand and his eyes look a bit wild, his hair is tousled, his skin is super, super pale. When Vince hits four hunger, he develops stigmata. Oh, Jesus. Vince, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit of what's happening to Vince beyond just looking a bit manic? Vince, it, there's a couple of reasons he might look manic. You know, the, the, the all-consuming hunger, but... uh also, the uh, the wounds that have opened up on his forehead, the holes in his palms and feet, and the stab wound in his right lung. He's not super keen on this. It's never happened before. And he's just like, Alex? Alex, what's happening to me? Well, it looks like you need a body. 
he's he just like like freezes, and you just see the blood like trickles down his temple from one of the holes, the the, the just the puncture wounds on his forehead, and he's just like, okay, and uh, okay, yeah. Alex is going to uh, go smooth his hair out and everything, and uh, straighten his shirt, and uh, call their driver. And I think we're going to have to make a pit stop before we head over to uh, the docks. Your driver texts you back and asks uh, if there's any type in particular that you're looking for this evening, because that will determine the route he takes. I look at Vince. Do you uh, have a preference? Uh, in... Like blood type? Uh, I mean... No, people. Oh. Um. You're past the point of doing what you normally do. And like his hands are twitching and he's just like watching the, the, the holes and how they're really sore but also kind of interesting and they're not healing. It's like, I uh, I don't know. I, I, anything will do. Anything. It's fine. And uh, yeah, I'll tell my driver... Whatever's easy. Within a few minutes, you get an alert that the car has been brought around. And Trevor just sort of pokes his head out from the closet. He He's drenched in sweat. You've noticed the last two nights that the physical manifestation of, of these dreams is getting worse. And he's got dark circles under his eyes that are beginning to form. And he doesn't even bother wearing a shirt when he goes to bed anymore. He just, he goes to bed at his boxers, basically, because he just wakes up so covered in sweat and feverish that it doesn't do him any good. And he just mutters, I'm gonna stay here. I, I don't, I, I don't trust myself around anyone right now. I had a meeting, but I, 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 I can't, I, I just, I, I can't do it. Is there anything that you would like me to take care of for you? He shakes his head violently. and You can see his eyes kind of rolling a bit. And his pupils look really dilated. You can't clam business. No outsiders. You you, you can't. I'll, I'll, I'll reschedule. Uh, just see if you can. He rubs his temples. Maybe when you get back, you can bring me a uh, food. Female, okay. preferably. I can do that. I can visit Maxie. Okay. That's fine. And he slams the door shut and presumably crawls back under the shoe shelf where he's been trying to sleep for the last few nights, but he really does not look well. I've probably cleared out all of my valuables out of there. Probably, yes. Alright, so do you text Marcus to let him know that you're on your way or that you're going to be a little late? Yeah, I'll let him know that we'll be there in probably in the, within the hour. Okay. So you text Marcus, which is good because uh, Ruha in general do not like to be surprised. So... You and Vince set off. Your driver doesn't even raise an eyebrow at Vince's 
unconventional appearance. He's been well-trained and he's very much used to all the shenanigans that go on. I mean, Trevor did eat someone in the back of the car just a few nights ago. So this is hardly the strangest thing that he's seen. And you take off driving and he takes a back route into one of the more, say, rundown streets, one of these back alleys. And your car causes a bit of a disturbance because it's not the kind of vehicle usually seen down here. You see some strung out druggies kind of looking bleary eyed with some kind of interest, maybe hoping for someone to deal them some more. You have a couple people who try to run after the car, hoping you're maybe looking to score. And there's a bunch of kind of ramshackle old homes that have never been renovated. You see some dirty children poking their heads out with curiosity and some very emaciated, dirty animals wandering up and down the street. This is not the side of San Francisco that it likes to present to the world, but this is where you can thrive when you need it. And you watch as your driver pulls around uh, this old broken down tenement building and Vince you're you're shaking a bit and you're so hungry that you can smell the sweat off the street you can feel the slow lethargic heartbeat of every heroin addict that the car passes you even find yourself turning your head to look at these teenagers and these preteens as they peer out at you from behind broken windows and you hate yourself for it but they just they just look so good Vince and your hands start to shake more as the car pulls into this abandoned lot there's one street light covered in dust and there's what looked like a, maybe a tent city further down you can see the edges of it and broken bottles all through this this parking lot and a young woman in her 20s maybe it's hard to tell she's obviously addicted to something and it's made her look a bit older than she probably actually is comes up to the window she's got long uh, curly brown hair she's got exaggerated makeup wearing a very, very tight leopard print skirt that barely covers her ass and a neon pink tank top and a massive tattoo across her cleavage. And she leans over to the driver's side window as he rolls down the window. And you hear this voice saying, Can I do something for ya? Looking for a good time? I'm gonna reach across Vince and open the door and push him out. Vince, you are pushed out of the vehicle into this dirty parking lot and you stumble out and you feel a bit feverish even in the cold San Francisco night air and you see this street walker as she's looking in through the window and she turns to look at you and you can see the flush in her cheeks. It's not all makeup. She's she's definitely 
alive in a very powerful, intoxicating way. You can smell the rich iron of her blood. She's so close to you. You can smell the... set. She's definitely addicted to heroin. You've got that slight acidic tang that you can smell, but she's not she's not strung out. That's good. She hasn't she hasn't shot up recently. And you can feel her heart beating faster and faster. And she comes over to you and she reaches out her hand with these long day glow painted fingernails and way too many bracelets and rings and she touches your face and she says looking for a good time and Vince you are looking for a good time Vince is stripped back to base impulses and he looks up at her with the blood streaming down his face from the puncture wounds on his forehead and he's just like what's your name? Veronica oh did somebody hurt you poor baby and she touches the blood on your forehead let mama take care of you he kind of makes to get up but finds himself in a little crouched position (laughs) almost optimized for what happens next and he's not even fully aware of it when it happens he finds himself in midair springing on this poor woman in the just in the middle of the street oh Vince your eyes turn yellow you don't see this of course but you can feel something changing in you your eyes begin to turn yellow and you're fingernails feel sharper to you almost. You can almost feel it. And the your fangs that, that you've tried so hard for so long to ignore, you can't ignore them anymore. They're so sharp and so ready to rip and tear. And you launch yourself through the air before Veronica has a chance to respond and you feel your fangs ripping into her throat and you can taste the richness of her blood as it begins to course through your own veins and you wonder Vince why you waited so long to taste the living because it is the most intoxicating most fulfilling meal you've ever had in your life or in your unlife. You feel more powerful, you feel strong, and the taste of this is just it's indescribable. And you don't know if you can go back to bagging ever again. Vince Vince isn't fully aware of a lot of things as you said it's like sensory overload he's aware that his legs have wrapped around her Veronica's so that she can't stand he's pulled her down onto the ground and he is just biting and drinking and uh yeah Vince is uh reconsidering his whole view of 
where vampires fit into things and where humans fit into things. And maybe, maybe he was wrong about all that stuff he was thinking before. Are you going to drain her dry? Oh, absolutely, yes. It's his first time. He does not have the the power to resist that impulse. You are messy is the best way to describe this. It is your first kill, your first full feed. You don't know how to drink in a controlled manner. And honestly, at this point, you don't care because you're so hungry and you've dealt with so many things and there's blood everywhere. There's blood on your shirt, blood on your face, blood all over the parking lot. And you tear up her throat more than an experienced vampire would. But she isn't able to struggle. And within moments, you feel her starting to go limp as she goes unconscious from blood loss. And you drain every last drop of blood in her veins. And you wipe your mouth, the stigmata fading from your hands. If you put your fingers up to your forehead, you feel it closing up as well. You feel empowered. You feel stronger. You feel vengeful. And you can walk back to the car And Alex, you see a ravaged corpse laying on the ground of this dusty parking lot, its throat torn out, drained of every last drop of blood, except for the blood on Vince's shirt front. Well, I'm going to have to use ashes to ashes. Yes, you are. So give me your rouse check to use your power. So Vince, you stumble into the car. Your eyes are still yellow and wide. If you look in a mirror, you can see the physical transformation on your face, but it's beginning to fade as this fresh blood courses through you and you can begin to relax. Uh, I'm gonna spend willpower since I failed. All right, you're going to spend a willpower point and re-roll. Probably a good thing in this situation. I got a six. Okay, so you succeeded. So it takes you a minute to work up the power here. Perhaps it's just everything that's been going on. Perhaps it's the strain of dealing with Vince and dealing with Trevor and all of this. But you do eventually close your eyes and you summon the power of your blood and watch as you channel your specific talents and this corpse dissolves into ashes. And Vince, if you look out the window, you see Alex walk away from where you'd left Veronica's corpse, and you see just a pile of ash where your meal used to be. Yeah, Vince is now thinking like, well, his first thought is ashes to ashes, dust to dust, because he's been going through that emo phase. But it's just like, yeah, I mean... She was a living person and now she's just dust in the wind, literally. 
They're so much more fragile than we are. And you can both get into the car and drive on to your meeting with Marcus, with Vince feeling satiated for perhaps the first time since he was turned fully, truly satiated. And Alex, you've just witnessed something strangely beautiful as a young vampire feeds for the first time. So let's change camera over to Marcus. So Marcus, let's have your rouse check first off as you certainly awaken to some new evening events. Yes, last night was uh, such an interesting night. It really for was. So many reasons. But Marcus passes his rouse checks with eight. Excellent. So you're feeling perhaps a little on edge after what happened last night, but also this is this is good. You've got you've got a strange ally perhaps, but an ally nonetheless. And who knows what the night will bring. So what does Marcus do for the evening as he's waiting to show a dead body off to Alex? <laughs> Well, we'll check in with our uh, business associates downstairs just to get the pulse of the evening events. I'll ask if there are any um, messages waiting. And Marie is, as usual, at her desk. She's a lot calmer tonight. She's had time to really get used to the past few nights, and she trusts that you've taken care of everything with with the police and since no cops have come knocking at her door for an interview she's a lot more relaxed and she just says um I mean not much happening tonight we, we've we got that uh, maternity leave case coming up next week that one's going to court but we're gonna win that I mean it's 2022 for fuck's sake we're gonna win that but I mean it's pretty quiet tonight um, Greg, it's Greg's night off, and Lord only knows how much caffeine he's imbibing. Hmm. But uh, he said he was going to visit his brother in Fremont, so um, I don't think he'll be in, in contact. But if I can call him if you need him for something, but I think we got it. I don't think so. I look around. Is the office relatively... Um quiet then there's no one else here other than marie she's like oh i sent phoebe out um she missed her lunch break at her day job and i told her that she wasn't going to be working with no food and i told her to take two hours i hope that was okay certainly it's important that you look after the staff that's what i would want well when you're hungry you can't really do your best work right i smile you're so right how late are you planning on being here this evening? Uh, well, I, I usually clock off at 11. Do you need me to stay later? Mm, I have some matters to attend to. I'd like to know if you have any objections to working a slightly split shift tonight. Uh, no, whatever you need. Go ahead and clear out until, say, uh, about 11. And then come back for a few hours. There's a... Uh, there's something I'd like to discuss with you. It's very good news. She smiles a bit. She puts her 
takes off her blue light glasses and puts on her regular glasses. Um, okay, um, there, there's a, an all-night coffee shop I've been wanting to try out, and I can go work on my novel, I guess. Um, oh, you have a novel? Yeah, she looks a little embarrassed. It's just, just urban fantasy kind of thing. Um, just been sure. in, in my spare time. It, it was a distraction during, well, all the pandemic stuff, and I'm trying to get back to it. It's good that you get back to it. Go and spend some time with it. Uh, what I have can wait until a little later. Text me when you're you're ready, just to make sure everything is set here. Okay. You got it. And she packs up, turns off her computer. She hands you a folder for the maternity leave case in case you need to look at it for later. And she says, I'll text Phoebe uh, not to come back then. And uh, after her, her lunch break, she can just go home. I'm sure her girlfriend will be very happy. And uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll see you later. Wonderful. We'll see you then, Marie. Thank you. And she heads out, grabbing a, grabbing the last cup of decaf out of the break room as she goes. It's okay. I have something else in mind. Um, so now that I've cleared the house out for, or the office out for the most part, I am going to go and um, prepare the freezer. <laughs> Just so that way we're ready to look at it. I'm not probably going to spend a ton of time staring at what, um, what's been changed, given the um, rather direct viewing I had of it at the time. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I'll make sure that everything is ready to go for when Alex shows up. And um, I'm going to do maybe a little reading, a little historical reading while they uh, while I wait. Now, there's certainly more room in the freezer now than there was when you first put the body in here. So it should be fairly easy for Alex to work in. What kind of historical reading are you doing? Um, I'm probably reading a little bit up on... We'll say 11th and 12th century um, historical uh, crusade items, especially. Maybe take out the coins that I've liberated and inspect them a little bit closer. Try to get a better idea of their make. Mm -hmm. And then maybe even uh, the some of the paperwork seized from... Uh, from the office as well. I'm, I'm not familiar with Greek or Latin, um, but I, I think I have a solution for that mm -hmm. in the making. But that doesn't mean that the, some of the other files which I took couldn't be also interesting. Some of the political stuff that was taken from, from the office. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at the coins, give me academics plus intelligence. And you're going to need three successes here because you didn't really study Greek, Latin, any of that stuff so no I went to school but not for that stuff no. but maybe you'll get something maybe oh I have a nine a nine and a six excellent all right so with your three successes you spend some time with these coins and you've been thinking about them ever since you liberated them from Felix Conrad's estate and these you're fairly certain that these coins were never actually circulated. 
because even though they're old and even though there's obvious signs of age and wear, it looks more like the wear from someone when you have a, a talisman almost and you kind of hold it between your thumb and your forefinger and just sort of rub at it when you're stressed or anxious or or just when you're thinking it looks more like that kind of wear it doesn't look like normal use and you've seen a lot of coins in your time so it, it looks to you like these coins were never in use they went straight from wherever they were created to who has them now or who hmm. had them, rather. Right. Who had them. And um, the um, imagery on them, what's on the coins? Is it uh, anything specific that I can link it to? Well, what do they look like? These coins to you, they look like Byzantine. As far as you can tell, this you you recognize with that good roll some of the images that are on these coins. You've never seen them in this good condition. Maybe you've seen some of them in textbooks, obviously, maybe in a museum or two. But uh, there's a, some very interesting looking crosses, which is very strange for a vampire to have. But there's also what looks like some sort of almost like a letter K and yeah. there's a profile of someone maybe an emperor but it's that's the part that's been rubbed away by repeated usage on three of these coins in from what Marcus sees here it looks like that figure might be might have epaulets or armor or some sort of finery that they're dressed in yes you can definitely see based on your knowledge of what was happening historically at the time, even though you weren't there, whoever's on this coin was definitely high-ranking. Very, very high-ranking. But mm -hmm. because you rolled so well, I'm going to give you something else here. This profile does not look like the profile that you've seen on coins from this era before. Usually they're fairly identifiable as an emperor or as a high-ranking general who would issue these in, in times of war, for example. This one's a little different. It it's hard to say exactly what it is because, again, that profile on all three that has the profile has been partially rubbed away. But there's something, something bothering you about the, the shape of the face and, and maybe about the, the detailing on the shoulder part of this profile, it doesn't look like something you've, you've seen before. It, it's obvious that these coins fit the stamping of the time and they have the general look, but something is different. But you may need to talk to an expert or someone who lived through that time in order to figure out what that is exactly. Yeah, well, the oldest uh, vampire I know, that at least I know of directly, didn't, couldn't help me out. The oldest vampire I know didn't, didn't know anything about them, unfortunately. I'm a little leery to go to my sire with it just yet, only because of the questions that would surround, surround where I'd gotten them from. Absolutely. It would be a little 
a little difficult to explain to David Surrey how you got these and uh, why you're holding on to them exactly. So, especially when you know that the Ventru are likely to be having a conclave at some point, considering one of their high-ranking members is now dead, you don't really want to be drawing that kind of attention to yourself at the moment. Certainly not. And then I assume that the paperwork, other than the Greek or Latin that's there, I assume then, since that's unreadable, I would just spend the time waiting for them to arrive, going over whatever um, local politics they had been uh, going over. They had made some notes on multiple coterie members. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go through and really make myself familiar with what the Venture know about us. Okay. And uh, I will send you some notes on that uh, in a bit. But you do learn some interesting things. So uh, we will leave Marcus there for the moment and turn our camera over to Katarina. So Katarina, you had an interesting night last night and who knows how well you slept. So let's have your rouse check. That's two. All right. So take a point of hunger. You're unsettled after last night. Last night was odd and you also have the uncomfortable feeling that your doors are watching you and I'd also like you to give me an additional d10 roll eight okay thank you all right so it is a fairly normal night you think you don't have any socialization invitations from any of your coterie members you don't have any Malkavian theaters to be running off to but you do find as you get up this evening and as you're maybe pacing a little bit and glancing with an unfriendly eye at your new doors you feel a bit uncomfortable and it takes you a moment to realize it's because there's a card stuck under your door alright I'm gonna go get my card and the card has the clan symbol of the Nosferatu, the weeping tragedy mask, and that black and red star from the prince in the center. And then on the back, it just said, report, question mark. I will... I will draw up a, uh, a letter giving a an overview of everything that we've learned and would I deliver that myself or would I would I hand it off just like at the entrance of the uh... without a direct indication from the prince that they want you to meet in person you'd hand it off at the door that would be the, the correct etiquette to hand it to a servant who would take it to the prince unless the prince specifically requested your presence. And that's what I thought. My first stop will be to drop off the letter because I'm not going to delay that. And then I will check in at the bakery. All right, so you take some time to detail out 
everything that you've learned over the past few days, maybe some additional notes on your specific mission from the prince, and drop that off at the labyrinth, the very burly-looking security guard, uh, who you assume is one of the prince's bodyguards, takes it, nods, and then just watches until you leave. Makes it very uncomfortable. And you can go off to the bakery, which appears to be fairly quiet this evening. For once, the counters are still full of, of baked goods. You see, as you walk up, there's one customer who's going out the front door, so obviously immortal. And other than that, it looks pretty quiet. Fantastic. I'm not even going to worry about going in. If there's a, enough product that I don't have to worry about making sure Lucy's going to restock. But what I will do is go back upstairs because I have a phone call I need to make. Okay. So you go around uh, to the back to your dwelling and go upstairs and it's quiet. Still feel a bit uncomfortable in here. A little bit. But you can make your phone call. I am calling one Miss Vera Giovanni. So you put your call through, and after a couple rings, you hear Paula's voice on the other end. Hello, Katerina. Hello, Paula. Would it be possible to meet with Vera tonight? Uh, you hear a bit of silence as you assume Paula is signing to Vera. And then when Paula comes back to the phone, her voice shifts into translation mode. So she's speaking as if she was Vera. And, and she says, I would be very happy to see you this evening, if everything is all right. Well, then shall I... Where shall we meet? Uh, I am at home right now, if you would grace my dwelling with your presence. If that is uncomfortable, I can find somewhere else. No, that will do. I will text you the address. Thank you. And you hang up, and then a moment later, you get an address. Uh, and it's definitely in the more wealthy end of San Francisco, which isn't surprising, considering she's both a Giovanni and a Tremere, and she's also a fairly high-ranking one. Uh, and then as soon as you get that, you also get a dress code casual smiley face text message. Katarina does not do casual. That's not, like, in her vocabulary. So I guess I'll wear what would be considered more casual, but she, she doesn't really have a whole lot that's casual. Hey, so how are, how are you dressing for this meeting? Probably... Probably just like a pantsuit without like the the jacket. 
That's very casual for Katarina. It's about as it's about as comfortable as she can get while still feeling <laughs> feminine enough to uh <laughs> Vera might get the wrong impression, young lady. All right, so Katarina sets off taking a combination of trolley and bus and a bit of walking. Especially once you get to the specific district where she lives, this high-end neighborhood, which is in this part, she appears to live in an actual house. She doesn't live in a high-rise or a condo or anything. She has an actual house and there's a gate around it, which is not surprising considering she's both wealthy and a vampire. Uh, But you have to ring a buzzer at the gate and then you see the door down the path swing open and Paula looks out and smiles at you and there's a buzz and the gate opens and you can go in. And Paula holds the door open for you. It's a very nice home considering Vera and Paula are the only ones who live here. But it's very tastefully decorated as you would expect from Vera. It's not gaudy. It's not ostentatious. It's not this ridiculous modern white and glass everywhere that's impossible to keep clean. Uh, She has some very nice antiques. You can just sort of casually notice them as you you walk in. Uh, All the furniture looks to be tastefully tasteful antiques, perhaps that she's owned for probable decades and centuries, or perhaps just picked up at local uh, antique shops, but it's all very well taken care of. Is that a Vermeer on the wall? It might be a Vermeer, but it's not as so many rich people often do put in a place where everyone can gawp at it and go, oh my god, is that a Vermeer? It's just hanging quietly in a corner where she can look at it from her favorite armchair, but you notice it as you go in. And Vera comes out of the sitting room and she's just wearing jeans and a t-shirt, which you've never seen her do before. She's wearing these very tight, expensive looking blue jeans and uh, a plain white t-shirt that probably cost $400. It is very expensive in its simplicity, but it is still the most casual you have ever seen from Vera. And she smiles at you and signs, Welcome to my home. It is a pleasure to have you here. This is gorgeous. And she smiles slightly and says and signs takes one to no one and there'll be just like a a slight uptick of the corner of my mouth and I will look at Paula and ask her if there is like a notebook so that we can write down because I have something to discuss with Vera that needs a certain level of privacy. Vera reads your lips as you're speaking to Paula and you can, if you glance over at her, you can see her eyes widen perceptibly and she starts to look less casual and a bit more concerned and she signs something at Paula very quickly and Paula uh, nods and says, well, you you know, we're, we're modern vampires. We, we do have some, some technology. Uh, we don't 
carry it around with us, but uh, we have, uh, what is it called? Uh, Text-to-speech? Like the scientist used. Um, Mr. Hawking, will that be sufficient? If that is what you would prefer, Vera. And Paula smiles and says, um, Miss Giovanni doesn't like to use it very much, but we keep it for private conversations. Well, I was happy to to do all of it by, by handwriting because I am not very technologically inclined. And Vera laughs because she read what you were what you were saying. She says, I I can manage it. Don't worry. You won't have to do a thing. And Paula smiles, goes into a, a hall closet, opens the door, and uh, pulls out a, it looks like an attachment to a chair. And it's got a computer screen and a keyboard. And she sets it on this very comfortable looking armchair that you noticed as you walked in. And she looks at you and says, uh, Miss Giovanni can just type into this and it will speak to you. Uh, it might sound a little strange, uh, not superhuman, but well, who of us is these days? And she laughs. Uh, Paula has a very pleasant personality. You've enjoyed interacting with her as herself when she's not acting as Vera's, uh, Vera's mouthpiece. And she doesn't seem to be offended that you don't want her in the room. Um, she's fairly used to private conversations needing to happen. So she sets this up and Vera sits down. Uh, she pulls her legs up onto this, onto the armchair. So she's got her knees tucked up uh, under her and she's looking at you with her head cocked as Paula walks out and closes the door. And she types something into the, into the machine and it, a slightly tinny robotic voice says, uh, what can I help you with? It sounds serious. Before I answer, is there like a another chair that I can like pull up? Oh yeah, she definitely gestures you to the couch or there's a few other uh, chairs in the room. Uh, well, I want something that's uh, easy to move so that like I can talk more quietly. There's a small table with a couple wooden chairs. You can take one of those and set it right in front of her. Okay, then that's what I'll do. She just sort of cocks her head and looks at you. And I'm having a hard time asking these questions because it's... I don't want to accuse her of anything or cause her any undue worry. But they're questions that need to be addressed because they're related to the investigation that we're doing. So it's a matter of how to phrase it without revealing too much. You seem worried. Well, remember when I asked to have you track down Alex Giovanni because I needed to speak to them? She signs yes. Well, there is a situation that I am looking into that I cannot give full details to you for but 
I have some questions that I need you to answer. She tilts her head and looks a little puzzled and says, I hope I am not in trouble. I don't, I don't think so. But during this investigation, I found a ledger, a scheduling book from Von Felix Conrad. Her eyes go really wide. And there's a long pause. And you can see her fingers fluttering as if, she, almost as if she's trying to say something and can't quite figure out what she wants to say. And she says, How do you have Conrad's book? That is part of the information I cannot give you. But she frowns. Your name was in it for a meeting two weeks ago. There's this long, deep sigh. You do not know my history? Question mark. No. This is generally not of my business, yeah? So it is not in my nature to pray. I do not say much. The mystery is fun, yes? yes? And she smiles a little bit. Everybody talks, but nobody knows. And then there's another long pause, and she kind of looks at you as if she's sizing you up. We have been friends for several years. I... I trust you. This stays with us, yes? I will do my very best to not divulge this information unless absolutely necessary. It will be dire circumstances if I reveal it. She nods slowly. I am... Much older than people think. I am 528. And I was turned when I was 22. But when I was embraced, it was not my family. From the name, you know. I was Giovanni. But my... My father was Giovanni, but I was born before he was embraced. You understand? Yes, I understand. We had in our, our family um, what you might call a blood feud with a Tremere family. And the Camarilla came in and they said that it was... She, she looks upset as she's talking. 
It's painful for her to talk about. They said we must exchange children to end the feud because it was a powerful Tremere family and my side of Giovanni was very powerful and my father's sire was very, very strong and the Camarilla, they they were worried about losing their hold in Italy in Bologna that is where I am from and they did not want the fight and so I was the only unembraced child in the Giovanni family there and so this Tremere family they sent one of their daughters to my parents and my father turned her and I went to this Tremere family and they embraced me and I had to stay with them and I never saw my family again you can hear a bit like she's starting to kind of say the words verbally as she's talking through this machine as well like she's been mouthing the words as she types them but you can almost hear her trying to vocalize them a little bit and she sounds she sounds emotionally worked up as she's talking and I was raised Tremere because my my Vitae, it is Tremere. And it is hard. And Conrad, he is the one who told my father that I had to be sired in Tremere. I see. If we had followed normal convention, I would be Vera Ricci. But he said we had to make a show of the blood bond between our clans. And so I stayed Giovanni, although I cannot see my family for many, many years. And now my father is dead. He died real he died a real death. The true death. That is why I saw Conrad. Because my father is gone. Not my sire. My father. I understand. I... I never saw him. And I went to Conrad and I asked if I can see him. Now that he is dead. And Felix said... There is nothing to see. Was he still in Italy? She nods. He never left the whole family they stay even through Mussolini even all of it I don't think they were allowed to leave the Camarilla they they told us we had to follow the rules I am truly sorry Vera and then there's this long pause and you could see tears streaming down her face. You've never seen her get emotional like this. She's usually very calm and composed and, and a bit enigmatic. And then she signs something at you that you can't quite get. 
and she shakes her head and goes back to the machine and says, It was murder. Do they know who it was? She shakes her head. He he came here to San Francisco one month ago, and I did not know. I was not allowed to know. But he came here on a business trip. They work, the family work for Ferrari now over there. And he was here. And I don't know if he knew I was here, but he was here. And then he went home. And in two weeks, he was dead. I'm going to, like, move forward just a bit and offer one of my hands to her. She reaches forward and she takes your hand and grips it tightly. You can feel how emotional she is from this. And she closes her eyes. You never forget your family. Even if they give you to another one. No. You don't. And I understand your plight. I want to go see my mother, but the prince said no. Because the Camarilla said no. My mother is still in Bologna. If there is anything that I can do to help, you know I will. She nods and she just sits there holding your hand. And then after a few minutes, she leans back and she types into the machine again. There was blood. Conrad said, lots of blood. He liked telling me what it looked like when my father died. Did he give you any more details than that? Bad dreams. Anything else? I was supposed to see him next week, but I have heard that he is also dead. Is that true? Yes. I will tell you there is a venture coming from Chicago. Camarilla. What is his name? She looks down at her lap as if she's not sure if she should say anymore. Do you know William Mallet? No. She shakes her head violently. Very old. Very powerful. Camarilla, hundreds of years. I heard he is coming, and that is when I decided it must be true that Felix is dead, because William does not like to travel, but he is coming. He is coming to San Francisco. Very well. Thank you. Maybe he knows more of what happened to my father, but... And she looks down and looks at her hand, still gripping yours, as if she's trying to decide if she, she, she should say something else. And she looks up at you and says, 
I hear from my friends in Malkavian that you have the ear of the prince. There was a shaman talking and said you were on a mission from the prince. Is, is, is that so? You know, I cannot answer that. She smiles slightly, but it's a very sad smile. If you do, hypothetically, would you ask if I can go home? Just, just for a week. I want to see my mother. Hypothetically, if this is possible, I will ask on your behalf. Hypothetically, she smiles very weakly. Will you stay a little? I am... I have never spoken to anyone but Paula, and I am sad. I could use a friend. Yes, I will stay. But I do have one more question I must ask. Yes? You are Tremere, and you have studied in their ways. Yes. Is there anything you can tell me about blood purification rituals? She kind of pulls back just a little bit. I don't know what I can tell you. You are not Tremere. Which I understand. But that information may be dire for me to know. There is a lot happening right now. And that information may go a long way. Give me persuasion plus manipulation to try and and get her to speak out of the clan, so to speak. And you're gonna need six successes here. Oh, Jesus. This is a very hard thing to do to get a 500-year-old Tremere to talk about clan secrets. I have five with a critical. Vera's hand tightens on yours. And she looks up and her eyes are kind of watery. And she says through the machine, You are my only friend. Besides Paula. And... I cannot give this to you, but if you were to hypothetically stay and there was a book left open accidentally on the table, you could copy hypothetically something. And I'm sorry, I cannot give it to you, but... And she winks slightly. Well... I fully understand that this is information 
that you cannot divulge. I am very well aware that Tremere secrets are secret for a reason. She smiles and says, I am glad you understand. I am sorry. I could not be more help. And she gets up and she straightens her t-shirt and dabs ineffectively at the tear stains on it. And she goes over to one of the many bookcases in the back of the room and she pulls out a book and then she reaches behind it and pulls out another book and it's a massive tome. This leather bound looks very, very old. And she sets it casually down on the table and opens it to a particular page and she turns to you and signs something that you have learned in ASL by now is I will go make tea would you like some yes please and she smiles and goes out closing the door behind her leaving you with this open book and now let's turn the camera to our very chatty Malkavian I'm gonna kill Rom by the way get in line (laughs) so Rom uh, you wake up tonight and you're home you're in your basement you have no idea how you got here the last thing you remember is being in Karen Stein's home and seeing you see you remember what was it you saw her on fire and you saw her burned library and you picked up a copy of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and decided it wasn't useful and dropped it on the floor. You saw the murder basement. The murder basement's the last thing you remember, honestly. But now you're home. You're very hungry. So give me that rouse check first. So I have performed my rouse check and I have rolled a one success. Okay. So your hunger stays the same, but you are ravenous. I am. So you're not going to go into a frenzy right now. You're not going to go tearing through your tribe looking for food, but you are starving. Your head is pounding. You didn't even know Malkavians, vampires, any undead could get hangovers, but that's what it feels like. It is the worst headache you have ever experienced. And you can feel... You feel a tremor. What is that? And then you realize you're feeling the heartbeats of all of your tribe members in the house above you. And you're so fucking hungry. So what is Rom going to do about this? And Rom is not super in control at the moment because he's feeling a bit manic. Absolutely. Rom Rom is a creature of habit. After a few minutes of frustrated stretching, um, I'm I'm gonna go up and I've gotta check the logbooks. I have got to see if we have somebody on the ledger for tonight, somebody set up for a session. Because yes, you're absolutely right. 
I am famished. So you go upstairs and you're looking less composed than normal. Even you with your mastery of the mind, you cannot keep yourself looking completely composed. Your hair is a bit out of place. You've got strands sticking out from, from your top knot and your face is a bit drawn. Your cheekbones are standing out more strongly and uh, your eyes have a slight yellowish tint to them. And so you make your way up the stairs and Preeti is sitting at uh, a low table on the floor, her legs crossed under her, and she is taping up a box and writing an address label on it. And she look and she looks up and goes, Oh, um, Master Rom. She puts her hands together and bows and says, We haven't seen you in, in several days. Uh, we didn't even know if you were down there. Is is everything okay? Eric was so worried. Yes, everything is fine. I had business that I needed to attend to. Do we have anybody currently scheduled for... Um, anyone currently scheduled for treatment uh, this evening? Or do we need to call up with some cancellations? Let's see if... She pulls out the ledger, the paper ledger that you use, and she starts looking through it. We, we had a, a couple cancellations uh, tonight, um, but Mickey's still coming. Um, Mickey. I mean, do you want me to cancel for him, or...? No, what was his, um... Let's see. What was his... And I'm trying to remember, uh, Ram is trying to remember what Mickey's uh, scar was, what their what they were getting treatment for what blemish or they were trying to remove you remember mickey right he, he's coming in from for the car accident recovery you, the scars yes the chest M- absolutely mickey now i i yeah mickey yes I, burn, I remember right she she's yes. looking genuinely concerned that that you can't remember things uh, Ram is genuinely concerned that he cannot remember certain things. I'll go set up the studio. There was that beaded area that was off the, the main room, I believe, that we mentioned last time. And um, I'm going to go in there and just rummage through the trays and everything, making sure that I've got everything that I needed because I don't want to interrupt this. I don't want to interrupt this process. I need to make sure that there is uh, a little iPod set up for music. I've got the little barrier so the individual doesn't have full view of everything that I have, candles that I have, the tools that I show them that I'm going to be quote-unquote using in this process of the, to, to fix some of their, to, to do a treatment for scar Google. And um, I'm going to nervously go through all of that and just make sure I have everything ready before the individual arrives. Okay, so you go behind the beaded curtain and set everything up. You've got some incense wafting through the room. The You've got an old massage table that you've repurposed into your treatment table. 
and you set up the curtains. You can pull a curtain across the top of the chest so that your patient, quote unquote, can't see what you're doing uh, because most of them prefer not to anyway. And I fake it with the neurile gloves and everything that I don't need as well. Exactly. So you get everything set up and it, it takes you long enough that you're able to kind of block out how hungry you are as you're preparing, like Dexter style, for your uh, for your feed. And you hear, it feels like just a few minutes, but it must be at least half an hour, you hear a <clears throat> from the curtain, uh, Master Rom, he's here. Nice swing around. Yes, good. Um, Mickey. Mickey. This uh, older man in his uh, in his fifties comes in. He's got gray hair uh, and very sunken kind of blue eyes. He looks very tired. He's walking with a cane, uh, but you can see from under his shirt, even stretching up to the neck, there's a mass of scar tissue. And you remember when you had your consultation with him, his whole chest had been partially caved in in a car accident. And it took a lot of reconstruction. He's very sensitive uh, about the scar tissue all over his chest, and he's hoping that you can help him. And so he comes in and he looks around nervously and says, uh, uh, Hello, Rom. Uh, sorry, should I say Master Rom? Is that what you say in these places? Um, no, you're fine, Mickey. You're fine. Um, go ahead and take a seat. How is the. Um... Rom tries to remember if Mickey's married or has kids. It- yeah, his husband um, is named Adam, and their two children are off at college. Oh, how how is Adam? Is Adam doing well? Uh, he he's 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 okay. Um, you know, we we we've got the got the online store up and running now, so he's just Good. taking care care of that most of the time. And while I mope around the house, mm. he smiles weakly. Good, good. Go ahead and just sit back, get, get comfortable. Uh, what area are we working on uh, t- today? Um, the, if you could start here, and he points along the side of his neck, going down to the top of his chest. It, it's it's what you can see when I'm even when I'm wearing a shirt. As you, and he laughs half heartedly. As you can see, it, it, people look at it in the street. You know, I could see people staring, and when I, whenever I go to the gym or anything, people look, and I don't like it. It makes me so uncomfortable. Absolutely. I, I can understand. Let's see that what we can do about it. So I'll go ahead and, and take Mickey, and he can sit in the chair, and um, I'll go ahead and give him... I, I have a selection of audiobooks and audio and everything he can select through and get him relaxed and calm and everything uh, I have a special pair of tinted sunglasses as if I'm going to use some sort of laser device or something and I give him that and I you know, relax him in the chair, set it everything up and then um, I say I'm just going to do a little bit of examination here, you might feel a little prick for just a second, but that's just anesthetic. Rom is distracted at this point. He's he's distracted. He's just trying to get Mickey to relax so that he can attempt to feed. And he knows that 
you know, he has to control himself enough that he can feed enough. The individual is expecting to be a little dizzy afterwards, but he has to ride that line. And hopefully the result is a small patch of scar tissue around the feeding area little smoother than it was before so you settle mickey in he he looks nervous but as you remember from your consultation with him he's tried pretty much everything in traditional medicine to get these scars to go away and he used to be a bodybuilder and he's just so anxious to try and get his image of himself back that he'll try anything so he closes his eyes he puts on an audiobook and uh, it sounds like he's listening to Stephen King's The Stand and uh, you can pull the curtain across so that he can't see what you're doing and the incense is getting a bit stronger in here and you put your gloved hand on his neck where the scar begins and that's when you can feel the heartbeat under your fingers that's fantastic and I I think you're going to need to try to resist a feeding frenzy here Rom it's been so many days since you fed and you're so fucking hungry so let's see how you do alright nine rolled sevens Rom knows what he's doing Rom Rom has to do this regularly in order to maintain his humanity. Rom has to act in these particular manners. So you can feel the heartbeat under your fingers and you can just kind of smell the desperation mixed with the iron-rich blood and it's just mm, so delicious. But it's... It'll be okay. You're not you're not going to drain him. That's not what we're here for. You remind yourself. We're going to try and help him. And you are you feeding from his neck? Yes. The goal in this type of procedure is to feed from the area that I'm going to perform the treatment on. I discovered very early on that the my saliva could heal the puncture wound from the bite. And I started getting curious about how else I could use that particular quirk of vampirism. So yes, I'm going to feed from his neck and I'm going to attempt to keep this brief but it's like a tattoo or something. It's a process and there's a little bit of acting in it as well. There's an expectation of the patient of a certain amount of discomfort of a certain amount of boredom and length of the process. So that gives me all the time that I need. Rom begins to feed taking directly from the vein running along this scar tissue. 
and Mickey winces and his shoulder twitches a bit. But as you said, he was expecting some discomfort and this is really nothing compared to what he went through in the actual accident and the recovery and everything. So he doesn't make too much of a fuss. And so you're able to feed and you can reduce your hunger by one. Uh, You're not draining him. So you can't fully slake your thirst because you're not draining him. You are specifically not draining him. So you can reduce your hunger by one. You're feeling a little bit better, but, oh man, still, still kind of peckish after that. But uh, we will leave Rom feeding on Mickey as Mickey listens to Stephen King and has no idea what's going on so let's switch the camera over to the labor union office which is empty but for one Marcus Voss and Alex and Vince you have arrived Marcus will have like a spare shirt for me Alex I just he looks down at his front he's just like you know I just stare with, like, a blank face. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I'll move towards the the door to the office. Offices or however it's broken up. So there, there's a main office space and then some offices behind it, but you'd probably knock at the door of the main office space if you're knocking. Yeah. I'm polite, after all. My thought for for Vince is that uh, I'd actually be making less trouble for Marcus if I show up shirtless rather than covered in blood. So, <laughs> never mind the fact that because of the foot wounds from the stigmata, his feet, his shoes are full of just squelchy blood. Those those Timberlands are ruined now. <laughs> so you're walking in barefoot, bare chested. Yep. All right. So, Marcus, you hear a knock on the door. My, my, who could that be? I'll walk over to the door. So you open the door and you see Alex looking dapper in a suit as usual. And then you see Vince, who's standing there shirtless with no shoes and bloody feet. I see the evening has been interesting. It usually is with this one. Well, please come in. And I will enter. When when Vince steps forward, I put my hand on his chest. Oh, is there a dress code? Um, I give you like a, I give you a look like really. Look, it turns don't out say a word. that no, no, don't, don't when don't, I'm don't say a word. hungry. Don't. Come in just a slightly and let me shut this door. Just steps in quietly and just goes against the wall. <laughs> I'm going to get you a towel and you are going to clean whatever it is up. Perhaps I'll find a shirt for you. You look like about a medium large. Medium, yeah. Don't move. So I'm going to go collect just a likely a one of many 
black or dark towels that I have just around the shop in case emergencies. And then I'll grab him a um, a nice, good union t-shirt, do a little advertising for um, the longshoreman, and uh, bring it back to him and say, uh, here you are. There is a bathroom not too far that way. If you'd be so kind as to clean up any additional mess you may leave as there are, um, wow, there are mortals that work here. Yeah, no, of course. Sorry about the mess, Marcus. And he steps on the towel and kind of shuffles across the room. I just cringe a little bit at the squishing sounds that he's making. It's like, at least the wounds have healed, though. It's, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, I'm not just, I'm not just bleeding out of my feet all the time. It's great. I turn to Alex. I am only going to assume that you had no hand in doing this to him. I had a hand in fixing the situation as per usual. You want to see a dead body? Always. So a little preface before. This was a, um, as I mentioned, a body that uh, my my office manager happened upon it was ripped apart at the time it's in a slightly different state at this point and all I'll ask is that you don't ask how it got that way okay do I look like somebody that asks too many questions not of the living I uh, walk Alex back to a uh, back room where there is a freezer with uh, a couple of locks on it I'll undo the padlocks and open it and then uh, unveil a bag with a rather peculiar corpse in it. Do you unwrap it like a present for me? Well, it's more like a body bag of sorts, um, oh. It, but it's not a full body bag. It looks like the upper torso and head of a body, but... It has been oddly shaped into a specific position or pose. Like at one point there was a lower portion of it and that some sculptor has fashioned the body into a specific form. Okay. I will uh, touch the body and... uh see uh, how it died. So Alex, you go to touch the body and even for you this looks odd the way this corpse is not laid out there's not much of it to lay out but it's odd. It's very uncomfortable for you. And so what specifically are you trying to I want to see what harmed it, what killed it, what happened. So are you using one of your magical skills? Yeah, fatal precognition, which is resolve and oblivion. Yes. So while you're doing that, go ahead and do that. Vince, you're in the bathroom trying to clean up your feet, your body, all of that. And you feel a kind of crippling pain 
it doesn't seem to be coming from anywhere, but you feel it in your chest. And it takes you a minute as you sort of double up. And it it's like, what is that? And after a moment, it kind of feels like heartbreak. The last time you had a breakup with a significant other, when they left you, that's that's what this feels like. That kind of crippling pain in your chest, that emotional pain that is so strong, it becomes physical where you feel like your heart is literally breaking into pieces. As you look down at this blood on this towel and the blood on your hands now that you've been cleaning and you look up in the mirror and you see a tint of blood around your mouth and your whole body begins to convulse and to shake as the reality of what you did just 20 minutes ago is beginning to sink in. You didn't have time to think about it when you were feeding or just after because you were hungry and then you had that flush of power when you were done. But as you look in the mirror and you see yourself, all you see behind your eyes is the corpse of this prostitute, this poor woman who was doing what she needed to do to provide for herself. What was her story? Why was she there? What led her to this? You have no fucking clue. But you do know that you just murdered her. And no one will ever find her. Her family, if she has one, will never know what became of her. You have made her one of San Francisco's invisible women. And that hits you like a punch in the face. And we're going to reduce your humanity by one. As you stand there staring at yourself in the mirror with the knowledge that you, Vince Markovich, are a murderer. And we'll leave you there as we go back to the other murder. So, Alex, how did your rouse check? Poorly. (laughs) So, would you like to spend another willpower to... I did that, too, and it didn't go well. So, (laughs) I guess I'm going to use my investigation skills to see if I can figure out how this this, uh, corpse became the way it did. And if I can't, then uh, I'll try again some other time. I don't know, but... All right. So, Alex, you're standing there and you're trying to summon your power like you did with Luther. Right? You're, you're trying to summon this, this blood power of yours to speak to the dead, to find out what happened to this whatever it used to be. And you can't. You don't know if it's because you didn't feed tonight, even though you're not feeling super hungry. You don't know if it's because of the condition this body is in, which is something like you've never seen before, but you, you're you struggling to use your, your supernatural skills. And so you resort to more mundane skills in this way. Uh, so if you're going to do some investigation, uh, give me investigation plus intelligence and what you get will be based on how many successes you have 
Can I see Alex having an issue in some regard? Do they seem frustrated? I don't know if they let on emotionally at all. Not usually, if I can help it. Okay. But I might seem a little frustrated, like a furrowed brow. And the and the only reason I say is like, right, is like the test, the redoubling of effort, all of that might let on a little bit, even though you're you're, you're Alex is very composed. Well, you can even if they don't let on what they're feeling, you saw them use their power when you were in, at Luther's apartment, right? And so you yeah. see that it's not going the same here because what happened with Luther's corpse was they went rigid, right? Their eyes kind of went milky and they just started staring into space and that's not happening here. They put their hand on the body and no physical change happens. Hmm. That's probably all I say. I just... Hmm. Uh, I got two successes. Okay, so... With two successes, that's uh, not a basic success, but it's it's a little bit better. So I'll say what you learn from this body as you're inspecting it. You, you walk around what's left of this truncated corpse. You look at it, investigate, check the eyes and everything. Number one, this is not how the body was found. You can tell this is not what it looked like when it was killed. You can also tell just from what's happened to the torso. It looks like it was ripped open and the entrails were pulled out of it. You can tell it was done by fingernails. This was no knife or or axe or anything of that sort. These were fingers. And you can also tell this corpse is mortal. Not not werewolf, not vampire, none of those things. This was a human. Well, I'm assuming that since I cannot specifically see how they died, it's probably because this isn't how the body was found or how this body was when it died. However, what I can tell is that a weapon was not used. It was fingernails or something else. And this is a person like the things that roam the day. I say with like utter disdain. (laughs) Mortals. Correct. So either from what I can tell, either they are being affected as well, or this is a feeding gone awry. I will say, Alex, you can tell based on the wounds, because this would be fairly obvious to you, this mortal did not do it to himself. Mm. There's no skin under the... fingernails, there's nothing that makes it look like he could have done it to himself. Okay, so then we either have maybe a gangrel on the loose that we don't know about or, I don't know, a werewolf? 
I haven't seen one in, oh gosh, I don't even know how long. I don't particularly like the idea of it being a werewolf for obvious reasons. Well, you can't say that it hasn't crossed your mind with all this moon business. It has. It has. I I don't know that the city would be prepared for something like that. I don't think the prince would be prepared for something like that. Opinions on the prince vary. I'm sure. I'm sure it's where your alignments or where your allegiances lie. Are we fishing now? I'm assuming you're part of the Camarilla. I gesture around with my hands. Camarilla has offered me much, especially when many of my clan decided to walk across the bridge to Oakland. My sire decided to stay. Thought it was in my best interest to stay as well. I just find it interesting, that is all. So, no um, grand speeches from the beyond then? Uh, I would assume it's because the body is not complete. Well, I can tell you with certainty that you won't be getting the lower half of it back. Okay. I'm just telling you, this is it. Uh, I don't know if it's because the fetters were taken with it or because it died in such a horrific manner that the spirit is no longer around. Well, it's a loose end uh, for now. I don't know how long I'll hold on to it. Obviously, I'm not in the habit of keeping corpses. obviously, we also need to uh, be aware that we may find more and follow Mm -hmm. up with them. And maybe if we can find one intact, we can find out what happened. Which is why it's good that you came and looked at it. In case we happen upon another, we've both had a longer look at it. Correct. So, uh, we should check on Vince. As you say that, you hear a loud, piercing wail coming from the direction of the bathroom. And that is where we will leave this episode. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. And I hope you will tune in next time for more death, blood, and murder. Thank you, and good night.